in 96. I had a con construction company for almost 20 years. I was in politics and stuff like that. And God just pricked something in us, Sue and I, that there's more than having your own company here. We had four kids at that time. The youngest was a year and a half, was not even walking yet, and um, sold everything and left and went to Barbados and started working with youth with a mission there, worked there four years, started their youth ministry program, helped develop their youth camp and all that. And then in 2000, God asked us to move. And we pioneered the work in Trinidad. Um, Trinidad's an island of about a million and a half. Fifty percent of their population is under the age of 22. So it's a huge youth population. The other interesting thing about Trinidad is it's one, about 28% Christian, 24% Hindu, and about 15% Muslim. So we have, I could walk you down the street and go within one mile, I could walk you past a Christian church, a Hindu temple, and a Muslim mosque. And that influence has gone through that whole country and is very violent. In 2006, Sue and I were both shot in Trinidad, and God has miraculously restored us and all of those things. But we officially left Trinidad, left director role in May of this year and turned it over to a new director. His wife is Trini, and she's St. Lucian. He's St. Lucian, so it's really cool to see how God is raising up Caribbeans to take over. We now, when we transitioned over, have a 72-acre campus with a challenge course on it, five houses, a conference center, and we've had youth coming all over. We've sent youth teams out to about 15 different nations as missionaries. And God um, said, your time is finished there. And now we're starting the ministry out of the Caribbean office. We're located here, but I fly back and forth. I just sent out a newsletter that church got um, last year. I flew 50,000 miles. And um, I get sick of airports. In fact, I was in a hotel a while back, and um, the guy said, well, what do you do? I said, well... Right now, I help oversee 28 of our campuses in the Caribbean. We're starting to go into Africa with food machine productions to help alleviate hunger. Um, 800 million people live daily with the effects of malnutrition. And we're looking at doing hydroponic, aquaponic farming into these different communities to bring food supply and the love of Christ that way. And the guy said, I, boy, it must be fun and exciting just to travel around. I said, do you like driving to work? Uh, he said, I said, how far do you drive? He said, about a half hour. I said, do you like that? Not really. I said, well, my drive to work just happens to be a whole day in the airplane, and I don't like that either. So it's just a different thing, but God is doing some really cool stuff. The property that we're looking at, God has laid a burden on Sue in my heart. We were shot in 2006. In 2007, Sue had cancer. In 2008, Sue had cancer again. And when we came back at the end of 2008, we had post-traumatic stress stapled on top of our forehead. And we would go around and pastors say, you need counseling, you need help. And we said, we sure do. And they would say, contact this. And we'd talk to them. they say, no, we just do pastors. We don't do missionaries. And we kept hearing that on and on and again. And finally, when we'd find one that would do missionaries, it was way out of our price range to what we could afford. And God has given us a heart to find a place where we can bring missionaries in in a transition mode there, where they can come and debrief, get healed, and go back out again. So we have found a property in Grand Rapids. We're negotiating um, but it's a huge step of faith. When we bought Trinidad's property, we made an offer of $200,000 with $100 in our bank account. And we now have a property that's worth $1 million. So God can do it. Um, I don't know what you're facing, but God will move in ways that you don't have any idea how he will. And it's, that's good. Because he wants to be him, not you. So pray with us as we look for new property and continue to expand things in what God's called us to. I got a little thing here. When I travel, I like to read comics. And um, this one really hit me because he's flying on an airplane, and I love the Lockhorns. 
And it says, if we keep circling around waiting to land, do we get the extra miles? Because so often I'm in a holding pattern and I land a half hour late because we've been circling, but I don't get any extra miles. The next one, and this, will, this is kind of, we're going through all this health care stuff right now. And he's laying in the hospital, and I relate to this because Sue was there last week. If I have full coverage, how do you explain this hospital gown? Now, if you've ever worn a costume, there's a hole in the back. He says, how do you explain this hospital gown? And the third one is for you women. If at first you don't succeed, try doing it the way your wife told you. (laughs) Guys, I don't have another one for you, but that was kind of get the women in the audience going a little bit better. At the bottom of your chair um, is a sheet of paper and a pencil. We're going to talk today about three strands. What three strands are holding your life together? And we're going to do a little illustration first. And what I want you to do is you're not going to, I don't want you to cheat. Cheating means doing something you're not supposed to do. Um, And one of the things you're not supposed to do is use it right now. So you have it in your paper, have it on your lap, may not draw what you see. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a triangle that has every letter of the alphabet in the triangle. Okay? And I'm going to give you seven seconds. Sue and I argued if I've done this with five seconds or ten, and I don't remember, so we're going right down the middle at seven seconds. And you will have seven seconds to look at it and remember it, and then I'm going to shut it off. And then you're going to have to draw the triangle, and I'll give you a hint. It is a triangle that you will be drawing. But then you're going to have to put the letters where they are. Okay? So we'll go. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, off. Now grab it and draw how many you remember. Don't take up the whole sheet of paper because you're going to be doing this three times. So at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And if you needed an extra cup of coffee before you got here to help that, we can have them in the back. Okay, you ready? Want to flip it up? There it is. How well did you do? How many of you have gotten five or more? Okay. In the right space. Yeah, they're all alphabets, so you could put ABC and put them anywhere you want, and you'd get them all the letters. But how many of you got more than six? How many of you have gotten more than seven? Seven. How many more than eight? Nine. 10, 11, holy cow, how many did you get? No, there's no abouts, how do you get about, well then they don't count, there you go, I did this one time and the girl got all 26, but she has a photographic memory, so we discounted her. Okay, let's try it again. Next slide. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, off. Okay, write it down. Now find someone right next to you and compare. How many more do you get? So go in groups of two. (laughs) Hmm? Add theirs to yours. So you're doubling your, hopefully you're doubling your set.
How are we doing? Okay, when you combine, how many of you have more than seven? How many of you have more than six? Eight, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. There it is. There it is. I'm sorry. That's how you did. Okay, let's start it again. How many had more than seven? More than eight? More than nine? More than ten? More than eleven? More than twelve? So we're right at twelve. Okay. Now make a group of three of you. Okay? Pick three of you. And strategize how you're going to do it. Three of you, together, strategize how you're going to do it. Okay, hold on. Take that one off a minute. Take it off a minute. Okay. Okay. We're going to throw you in the next slide, and I'll give you seven seconds again. You ready? Go. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, off. Start figuring out how you did. Yep. Work together and see how you did. I do. <laughs> hmm? Just a minute. Okay, you ready? Not yet. Okay, let's pull it up. There's your triangle. And it really is the one you were looking at. Okay, how many of you have gotten, we're going to start a little higher, how many of you have gotten more than 10 as a group? Okay, more than 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Nobody had 24? So you guys both had 22? Give them a hand. What made the difference from the first one to the last one? You knew what you're doing. You had help. You had teamwork, strategy. You had a common vision. And you'd done it before. I started looking in my life 
That's a three-strand. When I put you to three together, I did that for a reason. It talks in the Bible so much about a three-strand cord that cannot be broken. I just turned 55. I know I look 25. But, but I just turned 55. And I'm starting a new ministry again. I've pioneered two things before. One of them, we almost lost our lives. And I'm saying, God, I'm not sure I want to do this. Um, I like to retire. Now, that, Bible, that word is not in the Bible. But I'm not sure I want to pioneer again. What do I need... What do I need to move forward again, God? And I started this summer reading through Ecclesiastes. Then I went through and studied the life of Solomon. Ecclesiastes, you kind of sum up, everything minus God equals nothing. And as I'm reading through Ecclesiastes, I almost get a vision of a cynical old man. And I wonder, what moves Solomon from being the wisest man in the world with everything? He wrote Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Songs. Um, what moved him to write Ecclesiastes. What was he missing in his life? I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings 2. Solomon, you can follow a lot of his life. It correlates in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And the stories are quite a bit the same, though they sometimes will put a little different slant. But if you want to study his life, you read through those two. And 1 Kings 2 is where David is starting to hand over to Solomon. In 1 Kings 2, it goes, as a time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I'm going where everyone on earth must go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep each of the laws, commands, regulations, and stipulations written in the law of Moses so that you'll be successful in what you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. If your descendants live as you should and follow me faithfully with all your heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel." Now you go to verse 10. It said, Then David died and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron, 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon succeeded him as king, replacing his father David, and he was firmly established on his throne. That's a good transition. When the next one comes in line, can say he was firmly established in his throne. The interesting thing is this is David's deathbed. And David is like sitting there, and Solomon's sitting right next, and David's on, the, on his bed. And Solomon, this is what I really want to share with you before you die. The first three verses are David. He said, I'm going where everyone on the earth must go someday, so take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all the ways. Keep each of the laws, commands, regulations, and stipulations written on the law of Moses so you'll be successful in what you do and wherever you go. Basically, David Solomon, if you line your life up with these principles of God, you will be successful. Do good. That's David. But God knows Solomon can't make that. God's charge is what he had given David, and that comes in verse 4. If your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit. God wants the heart. Man, we look at the actions. 
And, and David messed up many times, but his heart was what was right with God. God says, I don't care, I, I do care on how you live from the world's view, but I want more of what your heart is. See, God's design is my heart. God will give me more and more vision, more and more strength to do what he's placed me to do as my heart lines up with him. Turn, flip over one page. Chapter 3. This is usually where we start in with Solomon's life. This is the one that we all like, we all heard in the Bible stories. It said, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the instructions of his father David, except to that Solomon offered sacrifice and burnt incense at the local altars, and that's meaning he hadn't started the temple yet. The most important of these altars was at Gibbon, and so there the king went and sacrificed, and underline this in your Bible, 1,000 burnt offerings, because that's a key thing to remember. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, You are wonderfully kind to my father David because he was honest, true, and faithful to you. Boy, I wish someone would say that about me. And you have continued this great kindness to him today by giving him a son to succeed him. O Lord my God, now you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am among your chosen people, a nation so great they are too numerous to count. Give me an understanding mind so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great nation of yours? The Lord was pleased with Solomon's reply and was glad that he had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people, and have not asked for a long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding mind such as no one has ever had or ever will have. And I will give you what you did not ask for, riches and honor. No other king in the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Flip over to 4, verse 29. And it says, God gave Solomon great wisdom and understanding and knowledge, too vast to be measured. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, and we'll just skip them. His fame spread through all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedars of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from the cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. Kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon asked for wisdom, and God gave it to him. God gave him more wisdom than anybody else, more riches than anybody else. In fact, they say today that the riches of Solomon exceeded Bill Buffett and Bill Gates combined. He was that wealthy even in today's standards. Everything he did, he built a temple. And if you read from 1 Kings 7 on, and it's fun, reading the intricacies of the temple. He had 150,000 workers working on the temple. Above, and then they had overseers over them. But 150,000 normal laborers working on this temple. It took him seven years to build, and the neat thing is I was a builder. And I'm sitting there, and I would cut with a skill saw, I'd hammer and everything, what made it more amazing yet, it says in the Bible that not the sound of a hammer, metal object, or any construction sound was on the temple grounds. They made everything off the temple grounds and brought it in and fitted it together. Talk about an engineering marvel. They had in there one cast iron altar that was 30 feet by 30 feet by 15 high. 
It was just amazing the intricacies of all of that stuff. Queen Sheba comes. And she comes in and marvels at his thing. And she said, because of this, you have an awesome God that you serve. See, the minute Solomon kept walking in God's anointing, using his gifts that God multiplied, he reflected God's glory. So where did he mess up? Because see, at the end of his life, God said, you weren't faithful You didn't leave it, and I'm dividing the kingdom. There was a really scary part of that. Because God meets him that time and speaks to him in a vision, and and Solomon doesn't change. What moved him from seeking God wholeheartedly to when God comes again and says, because you haven't been faithful, I'm ripping the kingdom away from you. Now, if I'm a dad, that's my worst fear, that my kids won't succeed in what they do. He's basically saying, your guys are cut off. I'm only going to keep a few, not because of you, but because of your dad. And he didn't care. I would have been sitting there on my knees pleading, God, give me a second chance. All through, God uses, and Solomon talks about wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge plus experience. That's the world's definition. What I teach you and train you plus the experiences of what makes you make wise decisions. See, we're a knowledge-based society. We send our kids to school and teach them what we already know. See, the nice thing about a school education is for the teacher is I'm teaching you what I already know. And the problem is with most education, unless we're sending them to the next level, it stays at where I'm at. Because I'm just giving you my knowledge, okay? If I'm preaching here in this, in this service, I'm giving you my knowledge and experience. But till God comes in, that's all you got. See, our basis is knowledge. And, and then the world says, I take that knowledge and what I have experienced gives me wisdom. I worked in the Caribbean for 16 years of our kids are born out of wedlock. 80% of our kids are born out of wedlock. So when we start talking about the Father heart of God, which he reveals himself as in more places than the Bible than anything else, that's knowledge. You're telling me God is a father and loves me and is always stable. But my experience tells me when things got rough, dad left. See, I remember when we were working with some kids, um, we had a King's Kids group, so we had about 30 kids in our house every other weekend. And I had to divide them up into guys and girls with different leaders, and I had a commitment from each leader that they'd be there for a whole year before they would change again. One of our leaders got married and moved to Australia. Good reason to quit. But halfway through, he did that in the year. And one of the boys, I sat with that group the next time, and I said, guys, how do you feel that Ben left? And the one kid said, that's all right. Nobody stays. See, he has the knowledge of God the Father, but the experience of a dad in a society that dads don't stay. See, the thing about a mother is if you fall and ride the bike and you fall and skin your knee, Mom grabs you and takes you in, brushes off your knee, puts a Band-Aid on, gives you a glass of water and says, now go sit in front of the TV a minute and just kind of chill out. You'll be all right. Dad's role is to come in when the sun falls. He patches up his knee, gives him a glass of water, and tells him to go back out and do it again. Because, see, Dad is the one that, by role of God the Father, is always to encourage to keep moving forward. So this is the world's thing. A Christian's thing is plus God. 
See, God takes our knowledge that we've been learned, taught, plus our experiences, and says, now let me show you what it really is like and how I can really move you forward. That's what Solomon had. That's the three strands in your life that make the difference. So where did Solomon mess up? Go back to 1 Kings 3. And we're going to just hit a few of them because we're running out of time. That's fast? Oh, so that way you end earlier so that they all feel good and you felt like, I like that idea. (laughs) It's church growth strategy. I like that. (laughs) 1 Kings 3. Remember we started at verse 3. That's where 90% of us ever started our story. We skip verse 1 through 3. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the surrounding walls around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their burnt offerings at local altars for temple honoring, and the name of the Lord had not yet been built on his temple. First act as king. One of the first acts we ever read about as Solomon as king is he married Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't ask God, who do I marry? He went out and got his own wife. And God had told through Moses and all of that, do not marry women from Egypt or other foreign women. First act he does is he aligns himself with an unbeliever. First downfall. Guys, I, I am married, and I'm thrilled I'm married. I've been married for 31 years. And at our 30-year anniversary, we sat and reflected on where we've been. We've been married, like I said, 31 years. We've been in missions for 16 of it. We, had, we went through infertility. Then we went through the death of a child. We lived in a cross-cultural situation. We were both shot. We've been through cancer. About every little thing that you can imagine on the tick thing that says your marriage is not going to last, we hit. But we were uniquely united in our faith. Guys, if you're not married, I can't preach it enough. Look for a godly spouse. Because that's what will keep you stable. And parents, if your kids aren't married yet, pray for a godly spouse. Solomon started moving away from God in the very beginning. If you read through the story of Solomon, it took him seven years to build the temple. It took him 13 years to build his own palace starts getting a little bit out of balance. See, Solomon started looking at his own desires. What do I want versus what does God want? And at the 20-year mark of his, his ministry or kingship, it says in the Bible in 1 Kings 10, it says that Solomon sat there and he had accomplished everything his heart desired at 20 years. That's a scary phrase. means there's nothing more for Solomon to do. And it says, That night God came to Solomon again in a dream. Two dreams in Solomon's wife, life. The first one starting, the second one at the halfway point. And basically says, Solomon, if you continue to follow me and your heart is there, I will continue to grow your kingdom. But nowhere does it say that Solomon asked, what's my next channel? Where do I go from here? Solomon lost vision. He became self-focused in on his own. And he lost what God had intended for him. I wonder what that 20 years looked like. First 20 years, I had a lot of purpose. People loved him. It also says through there that Solomon started taxing his people. 
And one of the figures in the taxing of the figures that is in the Bible is a number. He, he taxed his people 666 talents of gold and silver a year. Interesting, isn't it? 666. And it says about three verses after that, that all the nations, every time somebody would come, would bring him riches. He did not need those riches from his people. He wanted it for himself. He lost a love for his people. Do you have a love for each other? Do you have a love for your neighborhood? These cards that we had here, do you have a love for those people there that are on that cards? See, Solomon lost his vision and his purpose. The interesting thing, I asked you to underline the thousand sacrifices. Could you go back into 1 Kings, I think, 7 or maybe 10? 1 Kings 10. 11. 1 Kings 11. Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed his people not to intermarry with these nations because the women they married would lead them to worship their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and sure enough, they led his heart away from the Lord. What does 700 and 300 add up to? 1,000. Solomon started out with a thousand sacrifices, and he ended up with a thousand wives. It's interesting. Not a thousand one, not a thousand two, but equal. When we're equally divided between God and ourselves, we win. God loses. Solomon straddled the fence. Where's your heart? If we had a ledger, would you have one more for God? One more for you? Equal. Solomon lost the passion for God. Solomon had knowledge experience, and God. But the key thing is, Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The Lord searches throughout the whole world to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What we read in 1 Kings, it said, In knowledge, God gave him the ability to know the difference between right and wrong. Solomon just chose wrong. How many times in our own life we know what's right and wrong? How many times do we choose wrong? Knowledge and experience plus God plus the strength to do what's right. I had a neat thing the other day. I was telling you about my accident. And um, I made a left-hand turn, and the guy broadsided me. And the policeman, and what happened is when they hit me, the first guy gets out of the car and calls the police because Sue and I are still in the car, airbags off and all that. And he said, I just made a phone call for the police to come, but my buddy ran. The next thing we know, he's gone. They left the car. They pull out all the registration and all this stuff of anything of value they left, they took. It looked like NCIS. The policeman goes in there, and he's got an ink pen, and he's picking up stuff with his ink pen, looking at it like that. But the policeman came up to me, and he said, I really don't want to give you a ticket. But because there's been an accident involved, I have to give someone a ticket. And you made a wrong turn. 
basically telling me to go and fight it. My son that night says, Dad, go and fight that ticket. If you go in there to the court and plead innocent and he doesn't show up, you don't get a ticket. It's not, you don't get any points. And I'm sitting there, you know, I sure don't want points. Because I know my insurance is going to jack up, all of this kind of stuff. The policeman's already given me an out. Basically saying to me in his words, I'm not going to show up. I know I'm going to win. And Sue said to me, what's right? And I, I grappled with that one. Because <laughs> the ticket's 165 bucks. You know, I pleaded guilty. And sent in my fine of 165 bucks. I had to pray, and God, it was interesting because the day I'm praying into that, God takes me, and I keep going through kings. He takes me to another king who aligned himself with an evil empire. He was a good king, but he aligned himself with Israel, who was not found the Lord, and paid their army to fight with him. And a prophet comes and says, don't do that. He said, the Lord won't bless you when you're unequally yoked with the unbeliever. And the king goes, but what about all the money that I already paid? And the prophet's response was, but God will provide much more than what you lost. That was the day I'm grappling with what, do I pay this ticket or not? My mom came to me yesterday. One of her friends said, you know, I was walking through Myers' parking lot. And I found on the slip as I'm getting into my car a receipt that someone had turned in Coke bottles and had a, a refund of $8 but hadn't cashed it, $8.10, and hadn't cashed it in. And she said, I didn't know what to do with it. So she said, I put it in my purse. She said, the next time I went to Myers, I went to a different Myers. And she said, I went in and paid my bill, and I used that $8.10. You know, I didn't steal it. I didn't, I didn't steal it, she kept repeating. And she said, the cashier, when they were ringing it up, kind of paused and looked at it. And she said, you know, in her spirit, she said, did I get caught? Did I, did I steal something? And the cashier, she said, is everything all right? And the cashier said, yeah. It's just strange because this came from another Myers, not the one that you're at now. Not many people get a token and then spend it somewhere else, our record. But she was nervous. She said, did I do wrong? She said, that, that person never would have found it and all this. Did I do wrong? What was right? She said, I could have gone and given it to the cashier and said, here, but it was God's gift to me. It was just laying right there. I said, I can't answer that one. Maybe God did give you that gift that way. But I probably would have gone, I hope, I would have gone to the cashier and said, I, didn't, I found this. It's not mine. When the Spirit makes you keep saying and apologizing, I didn't do this. I didn't mean it. I didn't steal that. Spirit's probably telling you you shouldn't do it. Like Second Chronicles 16.9, he will give you the strength to know the difference and act on right and wrong. Where are we? Do we stop at knowledge and experience like the world, do we stop at knowledge and experience and God and fail to ever ask him, give me the strength to do what's right? You have a neighborhood here that needs to hear and see the love of God. But we can get really self-focused Pete's coming in. You're having pizza. I'm staying. But we can all sit around a table 
as a family and sing Kumbaya, it only takes us, well, we don't want to do only takes a spark in here. But we become a family. And we lose the vision like Solomon did at halfway point of his life, of his reign. He had finished everything he had hoped to accomplish. I was in your church long before any of you were. I remember sitting in your church when it was in the old church building in Grand Haven. I don't know how many of you were there. Not many. I've been here longer than you have. You've come a long ways. You've got a cool building. You've got an awesome pastor. And you've got an awesome pastor to be. Are you content? Have you accomplished everything God has called you to accomplish? Are you seeking him for your next vision? Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you and Lord, I, I'm amazed at how much you love us and how much you desire us to walk, listen, fellowship, and dream your dreams. God, your dreams are bigger than ours. Your dreams were bigger than Solomon's dreams. You gave him so many gifts and talents that he could have gone so much farther. But it's easy, Lord, to throw darts at a wall. You've given us so many gifts talents and your strength to do things much more than we desire or visioned or hoped for or any of that. Lord, give us the strength and the desire to walk with you. I pray, Lord, for your anointing on this congregation. I pray your anointing on Pastor Ben and Pastor Pete that you would give them your heart's desire, but Lord, it cannot stop with them. It has to go to each one of us here because our connection is much farther. Lord, give us the passion to reach our world with the things that you have within your heart. Give us wisdom, but give us the strength to follow. Amen. Wow. Thanks. You know, you don't know how that uh, really hits home for us with some of the things that we're considering as a body. Isn't that the truth? Where the Lord is taking us. And, you know, we understand, you know, knowledge. We can look at other examples of churches that are growing and multiplying. And we can even, you know, glean from their experience and experience within the body. But we need God to be directing us, don't we? And uh, if, if anything, we need to be on our faces saying, Lord, what's next? And uh, we believe we've been in that journey, and God has given us some things ahead to, to conquer, uh, some vision, some fresh things. And, uh, and we want you to be a part of that. We want to do this together. We can't do this alone. And, uh, and so we commit these things to the Lord. And thank you. Thank you. I love uh, the couple times I've heard you speak. The Lord uses you in a powerful way, very, very timely. And, uh, and thank the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hmm. <laughs> I just just sensing in my spirit maybe the lord uh wanting to you know continue to you know speak maybe through someone uh maybe there's something on someone's heart that you'd like to share uh just in that would complement what what the lord is already doing i just want to give opportunity uh for that
anyone young and old, anyone at all. Okay. All right. Then let's let's do this. We want to bless Kevin and Sue in a tangible way. We haven't received an offering yet today. Um, we've uh, we got an opportunity to to give our normal tithes and offerings and. Uh, we want to say thank you for your faithfulness. Man, God has been good. Um, but if, if the Lord puts on your heart to bless uh, the prins, you can put Kevin, Sue, prins, however you want, as you designated on your offering envelopes, uh, we want to do that. And uh, just give you the opportunity to, to, to do that. I know that God, he'll speak to you um, what to give and uh, pray that it's a blessing. I know that there's some things ahead of you that are pretty exciting. And uh, we want to partner with you in that way. Um, every penny that comes in in the offering uh, designated will go straight to Kevin and Sue. And we will also give them a uh, generous uh, honorarium so, uh, so you know that as well. But let's, let's be generous and, uh, and stretch a little this morning and uh, bless them. And then uh, as, as we receive the offering, guys, you can come. Um, then I want to... There's a CD I kind of gave you. Um, it's song four, I think, is something like that. Um, let's just, we're just going to end in a, a time of prayer. And uh, the song that will come on, it's been a song that's been really uh, on my heart, uh, on our students' hearts. And uh, students, I want to encourage you to respond as well after the offering comes. The song simply talks about uh, surrendering, giving up your life uh, for what God has. And, uh, and so I'm gonna, we're going to just turn this place into a place of prayer. And uh, instead of just running off, if you have to, we understand. But I want to encourage you just to seek the Lord for the next few moments and consider this idea of wisdom. And uh, what is God speaking to you in your life, in your situation, uh, personally? And uh, let's commit our ways to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for... Uh, the way you've been uh, so good to us. Lord, I pray that we would be able to be a blessing to Kevin and Sue uh, in this new season of their lives as we partner with them uh, once again. Lord, I also pray that you would uh, challenge us, God, to consider the challenge in your word. Help us, Lord, to take the example of Solomon and not do what he did, not to become self-reliant, self-focused, not to become, uh, not to ride the fence, but Lord, that we would be fully committed to you. Fully committed to you. Lord, we surrender to what you have for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's seek the Lord together. Let's give and then let's seek the Lord together and surrender our hearts to him. Amen. The altars are open. You can stay where you are or you can come forward, but let's just worship the Lord.
Praise the Lord. Above the singing, God, above the music. We're just going to continue to worship the Lord. I just feel like this is a really important time for uh, some of you, for your family, for what you're facing. I just want to encourage you to maybe slip out from where you are. Let's just find ourselves at at the feet of Jesus, seeking his wisdom uh, for our lives. Just want to, and if you need to go, we understand. Um, for those of you that are sticking around for for the family, we're gonna we have lots of pizza coming. Um, but uh, let's continue to worship the Lord, okay? Surrender 